you might not know, being here in the US, a lot of people have a lot of access to resources and information. But back home is very different. And people could say, oh, you could just use your social media platform. But that is not easy. Not everyone back in these rural communities have access to phones, have access to televisions. And in order to get all these to them, you need to be able to have that platform or that space in which people can easily walk into to get access to this information. So my most important aspect of my plan is to set up a center in which people can get information from and we can also send people into the communities to be able to help them set up their businesses, especially the climate smart agriculture aspects. And then I can say that I really feel fulfilled. So that's what I do in the next two to three years, finish next year, go back home and start my project. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. I'd like to bring you into the way back machine of sorts to an early episode of this podcast in which I introduced you to Lydia Camunto Bosire of 8B Education Investments, a firm that she established to help bring education opportunities to citizens of Africa so people like Lydia could benefit from the same world-class educational resources that she gained in part through her performance and how excellent she was as a student, but also through lottery. Now, changing the systems that we have in place around the globe are really critical if we're serious about building a society that respects all people as equal, regardless of their origin, their culture, their sex, their gender, or their skin color. Today, we get to further that discussion as I'm joined by Rosalinda Agana. She's a lovely young woman who grew up in northern Ghana and completed her education against great odds. She was selected to receive a CAMFED scholarship to study law. Rosalinda joined the Pan-African CAMFED Association of Women Leaders. She is trained as a learner guide delivering CAMFED's self-development curriculum to marginalized students. At university, Rosalinda founded a nonprofit organization to support teenage mothers with income-generating skills. In 2019, she started a climate-smart agriculture enterprise, providing employment for rural women, growing and processing peanuts, soybeans, and potatoes. She's a passionate youth advocate. She uses her platform in all sorts of ways, and we're going to learn all about that today as we get to know her. She is presently pursuing her master's degree in sustainable international development at Brandeis University in the United States. Wow. Rosalinda Agana, welcome to the show. Thank you, Coriander. I have long awaited this conversation. I know we went back and forth for a while. But really, as I express, this offers us the opportunity to kind of step into the perspective of yet another individual who's really kind of escaped the odds <laughs> in a way of what your future could have been to something greater. And so I'd love for you to first just tell us that origin story. How did you get where you are today? 
All right. Thank you so much, everyone, joining us today. As she rightfully said, my name is Rosalinda, and I'm from Northern Ghana, to be precise, Upper East Region. And growing up as a child and originating from a society in which has deep-rooted cultural norms, I got the opportunity to go to school through my foster parents. I lost my dad at a very young age. And moving on to live with foster parents as a girl, there's, as the saying goes, there's no place like home, even though they gave me the love and support that I needed, but there can never be any other place than home. And this was as a result of poverty, because I believe if my mom was financially adequate, I wouldn't have to go and live with other people. When I finished high school, I was going through a lot at that point, and my foster parents at that point couldn't really support me to further my education through tertiary. And as a young person, I was very passionate about reading law and also becoming a lawyer, obviously. So I was trying to figure out what to do. And the good thing was that back in my second year in high school, Comfort Association or the Comfort itself came to my school to do a mentorship program and to educate us about the works of Comfort and the opportunities that are available to us as young people. And that really gave me the motivation knowing that after school, if I do well, I would get scholarship to further my education. A dream come true, right? So just like other girls and other boys in senior high school, knowing the fact that we had scholarship opportunities, that was a boost for me to study harder, to be able to meet the scholarship cuts. So I did that. I studied very hard. God being so good, I got a very good grade. And then I got the opportunity to apply for the comfort support. And I would say comfort is so considerate of us young girls or young people, regardless of the situation. I remember at the point in which I was applying for the scholarship, the applications were closed, but my results came late before I could even apply for the scholarship. And I remember one of the Comfort Association members was the one who sent me a number to one of the directors in the organization. And I called them and told them what I was experiencing as a young girl at that point and how much the scholarship would truly mean to me if I was given the opportunity. And truly to her words, she gave me the opportunity by asking me to travel to one of the regions in which the scholarships interviews was going to be in and also where I could access the application forms, got the form to apply for the scholarship and then here I am today. I would say my story all wraps around true comfort because I believe studying law degree wouldn't have been a possibility without comfort support. And when I got selected for the scholarship, I got the opportunity to be enlightened and also be mentored by a series of people with knowledge and expert knowledge in terms of self-building and all that and through one of their orientations and also getting the opportunity to attend the mastercard foundation scholars summit where i was told that being a leader doesn't mean you have to be grown being a leader now you do not need resources or money to become a leader and that really allowed me to think about creating an impact back home without having to 
wait till I am financially sufficient. I was done with school and being that lawyer that I want to be. I just realized how powerful having access to information can be for me as a young person. And I keep saying comfort. A lot of you will be asking what comfort is. Comfort is an international organization that supports young people in rural areas, girls to be precise, in disadvantaged rural communities in Africa, and notably they are in Malawi, Tanzania, Ghana, Zimbabwe. And a lot of girls have received support. And we have to know that 95% of girls in the most disadvantaged rural communities in Africa never completed senior high school. Yeah. And there's so many reasons for that, right? Like part of it is cultural and part of it is also just access or you're expected to get to work or to raise family or to care for aging parents. A lot of that is it's common in lower income areas or those rural communities where you don't necessarily have the same structures in place for school, for scholastic work. So I've never been to Africa. I've heard so much about it. I've always wanted to go, studied even French and worked with West Africans who spoke French or doctors helped to work as a translator for them so that they could further their research in the United States, which was a lot of fun. I did that during college. And the culture is just so incredible and different from one country to the next too. So in the West, we don't necessarily know that or see that, right? It's Africa. I don't think we have a real clear understanding of what it's like to live there, to be there, and to grow up there. And often how women in particular don't get the same resources and the same access to education. Lydia spoke about this too. And I think her story was very similar to yours in a way. She's from Kenya and was able to go through the process of graduating from having her undergraduate to then going through and getting her master's and PhD become a doctor, doctor of philosophy, not medical doctor. That wasn't her pursuit. You're going for your Juris degree, right? You want to be a lawyer. And in addition to that, your master's. So each of those is an incredible pursuit that costs a lot of money. And frankly, if you don't have the support of something like CAMFED or 8B Education Investments, you simply, your dreams will be limited because you aren't able to access the education without these sorts of funds and resources. So what is it like for the present Ghanaian girl growing up in that eastern side of the country? What are the chances that they might be able to access this sort of a resource? Good news is, so the odds are that most of these girls that grew up in those rural areas have limited access to these resources, as you rightfully said. But now having organizations like Canfed have really helped to curb the norm. So I remember growing up and also the norm of every other girl in our families, we are always encouraged to pursue courses that are not so expensive. Find that most girls in these rural areas will rather pursue degrees in nursing or diploma courses and not degrees actually. This is because these are programs that are very less expensive compared to going to the university colleges are better and also easily accessible because they also come with sometimes government funding but for us to think about like dreaming of being a lawyer dreaming of being a doctor even as a girl growing up is very difficult because to even think about 
making the cuts because you have a lot of responsibilities at home and wanting to study hard to make the grade to be able to even get the admission in the first place is like one big challenge as a girl because at home you're the one doing the cooking doing the cleaning of the house doing the washing and all that as a girl it's like so much responsibility for you unlike the men well now we also have men that are also being inclusive helping us because we are not in the era in which everyone is trying to make sure that we are all head but regardless of that there are still inequalities which we can't deny so these are some of the things and for me as a young person that was growing up in the rural areas i just realized how much we girls were marginalized in terms of access to education in terms of access to reproductive health materials like sanitary pads in terms of access to even basic needs so these are some of the things i would say that really streamline or serve as a curb to our success as girls in the rural areas but thanks to comfort and other organizations, we are able to also dream big and also hope for a better future. Yeah, I love that. Well, and as we've discussed many times on this show before, one of the things that is different about educating women in particular in these areas is that they tend to develop, let's just say companies and efforts that give back to the community. And so you're already spearheading something on your own I'd love for you to talk about this not-for-profit that you founded and what you're here to do, how you're helping other people. Okay, thank you so much. I'm usually so excited when it comes to my baby, I would say, foundation, because when I got the opportunity to join Canfed and having access to a pool of network of other like young-minded women who are also passionate about creating change, because the main aim about the Canfed Association, as we always say that, we are young women creating change. So coming from that kind of background and being exposed to now where we are now, because I'm in the US now doing a master's degree and also getting the opportunity to work with very good companies and making good money, I would say that it kind of gave me the passion. And through the series of impact and meeting other Confederate Association members, just gave me the passion and also made me realize another potential that I had, which was not on earth when I was in the village or probably somewhere. So one of the babies I came up with was my foundation, which is called Teen Sword Foundation. How did it come about? So before I even started to form Teen Sword Foundation, I told you earlier on about the fact that I got the opportunity to attend Comfort Summit and Orientation Program. And realizing that being a leader starts now and not later, I decided to start doing mentorship programs for other young people in the communities in which I came from. So I went back and visited almost all the senior high schools and junior high schools in my region to teach them about the opportunities that are available for them if they study hard. The fact that you are coming from very humble families or the fact that you are not able to pursue a bigger dream because you already are like, oh, my family is poor, I don't think I would make it after school. I made them understand that you don't have to feel that way because we have organizations out there, comfort is out there waiting for you to just make the cuts and be able to get the scholarship. So study hard, 
we have a lot of support systems available for you. And what my organization did then was first, we started with the mentorship programs. We helped them and we also organized extra classes for some of the girls and boys in our communities during vacations to help them steady hard and also to be able to make the grades. And through this, we're able to support them to apply for scholarships. And now we have a lot of the people that I mentored in the Comfort Association Network and other scholarships like the MasterCard Foundation that I know of. And that was through my organization because we were doing mentorship and also supporting them. Another aspect, which is the most important aspect, is the climate part of my venture, which supports rural people, especially peasant farmers, to switch to climate smart agriculture. Being someone who is very interested and passionate about sustainability, I really took it upon myself to be able to be the advocate, the voice for most of these people. Because time and again, a lot of farmers farm and then they have low crop yield. This is as a result of climate change. But do they know that this is a result of climate change? Majority of them, I would say no. So first off, we did a lot of educational programs bringing other young people like me who are into agriculture, who are into climate action, especially those that are doing programs related to this field, to come into these communities, to educate the farmers about climate change and how much they can leverage on climate smart agriculture. Another aspect of my project was also encouraging farmers to move to a more sustainable system of farming because in Northern Ghana, we have two seasons, the raining season and the dry season. In the raining season, farmers are farming, right? In the dry season, there's nothing for them to do. So what we were encouraging them to do is to do a system of mixed farming where they have animals and also crops. For animals, it can go all year round, so you don't have to be out of business. And the good news is that you can use the cow dangs or the various poops from the cows or the animals as manual for the farm so that you don't have to use chemicals, which causes harm to the environment. So this is what we are doing. We are using more sustainable ways to educate people and also to encourage them to do that. Another good aspect of my venture was to help them get startup from other organizations that provides funding to small businesses. So this through the small businesses, they are able to get funding, especially from Comfort. I would always say Comfort because that is where I have more information, more knowledge, because that is where I know they have ready resources for people out there, especially women. So we encourage these people to switch to this particular system of farming and they are able to apply for grants to be able to expand their businesses or even young people like myself that were interested in agriculture. We supported them, helped them on how to build their businesses. And then they applied a majority of which I would say got the support. And the final part of my business, which is the more profit venture business, which I'm doing was I set up a bakery in Northern Ghana. So after my national service, I was thinking about ways to empower myself as a young girl. Let's talk for a moment about national service before you dive into that. And then we'll come back to this bakery. What is that for a Ghanaian person? Like, Do you have a mandatory service or what does that look like? Okay, so national service is a mandatory service for every person completing tertiary education. So in Ghana, we are required to do a one-year mandatory service, which is mostly free. You don't get paid most of the time, but you are given 
a little bit of stipend, which is even less than, I would say, $100 a month for us to... To build community, essentially, is what it sounds like. Yes. The most important part is to build communities. I did my one-year service. Usually, after you graduate from the university, straight up, you're required to do the national service, which I had to, and I did it. So after that, finding a job, as people would think that, oh, as a young graduate from the law school, it's easy for you to find a job. But I would always tell people that law is just like any other course you do. And most importantly, I tell people that law is like entrepreneurship. You need to be able to find customers, right? And all that counts. So thinking about how I was going to navigate my way through the legal system, because I was yet to even go to the professional law school to be called to the bar and all that, thinking about doing that and also being at home, I thought about a way in which I could empower myself, create an impact, and also create an opportunity for other people like myself. That is when I discovered, because at that point, I had come back from Brasilia, Brazil, representing Central and Western Africa at the Youth Agricultural Summit, where I presented my project. And my project was all about reducing waste plastic in our environment and also helping peasant farmers in the rural areas. So how do we reduce waste? One of the things I identified was bakeries in Ghana. Usually, I don't know if we have Ghanaians watching, but a lot of people can attestify to the fact that most bakeries use a lot of plastic for their packaging. And I was like, how can I help solve this problem? And I was like, well, I could be one of the people that would lead the way. They say what? Walk the talk, right? So I decided to start a bakery and encourage the use of paper packaging as against plastic packaging. Another thing I did was to create a network or partnership with other bakeries by educating them and also telling them the benefits of us using paper packaging against plastic packaging. And also a trick about the whole thing was that speaking with customers and giving them bonuses as, so if you come to my business and then you decide to use plastic, because we have some packages that usually comes with plastic and people love it, it's fancy, well, yes, but that is not good for our environment. But if you do want that, the good thing is what I was doing at my business is for you to bring it back every time you order at a discount. So I give you a discount for returning your plastic instead of giving you a whole new one, which was creating more waste to the environment. Right. So building in circularity into the business so that you could create something that is more sustainable. And I mean, plastics are so ubiquitous. I have to say, it's like the one thing that keeps me from wanting to go out, for instance, and get food delivered to my home as a, for example, like if you want to go ahead and, and order takeout or carry out as they call it in different parts of the world, carry away, take away something to that effect that you're getting it in plastic often and there's a lot of waste. So what do you do? You have a few select restaurants that will allow you to, I guess, bring your own, but that's such a rarity. And so we have a lot of waste around the food system that could be eliminated if we did things more smartly, like what you're advocating for. Absolutely. And just like that, that's what we've been doing. We are also doing a lot of training creating opportunities for other young people. So my business is not just about like selling products to people. We are also training people and households to learn how to bake, 
this all cuts down the plastic waste. People are like, this is not really a good business. If you're training people, they might become competition for you or they wouldn't patronize you. But my main aim is to be a social enterprise. So if I can do anything that I can to reduce that waste in the environment by encouraging families to bake their own products, that is all I'm for. Because at the end of the day, we are looking for organizations that are also passionate about the same mission to support us through funding. So we still have the funds to be able to carry out our goal while creating opportunities for other people. Well, hats off to you. You're not alone in advocating for this. There's a fairly prominent vegan chef in the world here, Miyoka Shinner. Miyoko Shinner was the founder of Miyoko's Creamery, right? Which is a vegan cheese well, and dairy replacement company, right? They make all sorts of things like butter and different really fancy cheeses. And they're available all over grocery stores, coast to coast in the United States. But she is now separated from that effort. And she's advocating for people to learn to make their own vegan cheeses and essentially saying, we don't have to just have one brand that you go to on a national scale. Like there doesn't need to just be one. We can have regional brands that are very successful in their backyards that bring their own flavor and their own culture and their own social connection to their local communities to their space. And you could have 5,000 vegan creameries if you wanted to and teach people to make their own at home too. And ultimately you're moving people away from, let's say an animal-based product that might be more wasteful, that might be more carbon intensive and less good for the environment to something that can help them stay more connected to food, create something beautiful and also be less wasteful in the end. And so I think when people come forward with this real heart and soul of doing good and putting more good into the world, that the ripple effects can be extreme and can inspire people and create more opportunities and create more ideas and better ways of doing things. So I think your efforts are going to have these strong ripple effects. I can see that you've got a big, bright world ahead of you. What does the future look like? How much longer do you have in school? Okay, so I would be graduating in May, coming this May. And currently, I'm just doing my dissertation and practicum. And I'm doing a research on lobster farming in Maine and the impact of global warming. Because as we all know, the waters are becoming warmer. And the lobsters are migrating to more colder environments. So as a person who is enthused about climate change, I thought it was wise because I did my practicum partly in Rockland, Maine, on the island of Hurricane Island, close to Final Haven. And it was so fun. And also getting to be in tune with nature at that point was so humbling for me. So in the future, what I see for myself in the next two to three years, because I feel like I would need a lot of time to be where I want to be. At the moment, as you all know, I'm not called to the bar, even though I have an LLB. So I'll be hoping to continue to pursue my law degree. So I'm hoping after my master's, I might do an LLM if I am to pursue my law degree and also sit for the bar exam, hopefully. But most important aspect of my goal is to go back home and then set up and redefine my project back home because what I want to do is to be able to pick all the information that I've learned as a sustainability 
person because I'm doing sustainable international development. And one of the reasons why I decided to study this course is to empower myself and also be open to all the information I would need to be that advocate that I want to be. And also to add that to the legal profession because all that counts. You need to be able to fight for these policy change. This is that do not really help in terms of reducing emissions and all that. So all that counts. So I'm like, yes, I really want to be all around, know all the information. And then from that information, because I also did fundraising, one of the most important aspects is for me to be able to get the resources that I need to build up my project back home and also to create more awareness and also reach out to more people because you might not know being here in the US a lot of people have a lot of access to resources and information but back home is very different and people could say oh you could just use your social media platform but that is not easy not everyone back in this rural communities have access to phones have access to televisions and in order to get all these to them you need to be able to have that platform or that space in which people can easily walk into to get access to this information. So my most important aspect of my plan is to set up a center in which people can get information from, and we can also send people into the communities to be able to help them set up their businesses, especially the climate smart agriculture aspects. And then I can say that I really feel fulfilled. So that's what I do in the next two to three years, finish next year, go back home and start my project because at this period, I'm just redesigning, setting up my website and also trying to see how I can leverage on the CAMFED Association Network. Because if you care to know, we have there are nearly 60,000 CAMFED Association members and more than 35,000 of these women have succeeded in setting up businesses. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that's definitely a track record. And what you're saying about going back to Ghana, one of the reasons that some have stood out against this whole concept of giving you world-class educations is this concept of brain drain or bringing out the best and brightest from there and like transporting them to America or to the UK or to somewhere else. And then what's left. And Lydia spoke about this really with passion saying we need to put to bed this entire idea because there's plenty of people that are very skilled and bright that are right behind that individual ready to come forward and take charge too. what they lack is opportunity. And so if you are part of this solution and you are bringing opportunity from all of your experience back into the community and providing more resources so that we can continue to see people around the globe rise up in their education levels and their ability to contribute and their ability to find and seek solutions to some of the problems that would otherwise exist, like let's say farming in a more wasteful way. You want to get more crop per drop of water. You want to ensure that you're using the resources that are there. You want to build more sustainable and regenerative agriculture so that you can feed your families from local food that you procure and make, right? So all of that comes together to make a vibrant cultural society. And I just so applaud your work individually and the broader work of CAMFED. I really enjoyed this conversation today. And I really want to just offer you the opportunity to leave our audience with perhaps closing thought. And I want to position this for you and say, build the dream of what you have for the future of Ghana. What does that look like? 
So for me, the dream for Ghana at the moment for me would be that, just like I wanted to say, is for people to be able to understand that the West and widows in Africa are far different, but almost the same. The fact is that young people from these areas have similar dreams like young people here, but the difference is that access to resources. So if people here and all around the world who are also passionate about seeing an equal world for us all can come together and rally behind us, those who have dreams, my goal would be or what I wish for Ghana is for most young people like myself that are dreaming for a change is for us to see the change that we want to see. And I just want to end by saying that I'd want people to come away from the podcast knowing that 95% of girls in the most disadvantaged communities in rural Africa never completed secondary school and that we need to change that. How? Through a powerful sisterhood of young women like the Comfort Association who like me beat the odds to go to school succeed and lead and with the support of people like your listeners we are making sure millions of people know that we get that chance and i would like to say please donate to Comfort because they are doing amazing work there and to organizations like mine because we all want to create the change that we want to see and if you believe in that change please support us well thank you for that and i feel like there should be a connection to another guest that i've had on this show Nana Abba Anamoa, who is very well known in Ghana. She's a celebrity. She started her own charity as well called Hearts Wide Open, which is specifically focused on helping to serve people in Ghana and ensure that they have the same access to medical care, as a, for instance, to resources to help them get rid of addictions to things like tramador and to ultimately lead a long and healthy life. So I know there's a lot of incredible work that is being done in these spaces. And my hope is one day to be able to come and visit in person and see the progress that you're making, whether it be in the rural areas of Ghana or in the big cities like Accra. Absolutely. And one of my aims, as I would say, was always to carry a lot of people when I'm going back to Africa. Because there's so much people have to say, but they haven't really seen or experienced it. And it'd be so good to have people like you and people that are also passionate about helping people like myself and the rest of the world to go there and see it. Because sometimes I feel like we, those that come here and we try to tell people, they don't truly see the picture. But once you get to experience it, that's when you realize that the realities are so different compared to what you imagined in your mind. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've been through much of Mexico and a lot of Europe, and I've also been to the Far East and throughout Australia, but I've never made it to Africa, right? In each of these cases, I had the same feeling. Like I thought I understood a little bit about the culture because I also studied anthropology as my undergrad. So I read a lot about different cultures of the world. I studied archaeology. I've done digs in France and in Central California spend a lot of time thinking about what makes people different and similar, right? Understanding cultures of the world and just how differently you can approach the same social problem, even like how you present yourself or how you introduce yourself. And I just think that the differences that we all have are kind of beautiful because cultural expression is unique to groups and groups of people like 
we develop such interesting and elaborate, beautiful traditions that make us diverse and interesting. And in my world, it's like no way is better. There's just differences and each of them can be really wonderful to explore. I've never encountered a people or a culture that I wouldn't have wanted to spend more time in. <laughs> so I hope to get there at some point soon, perhaps with my kids, bring them along for the ride. That would be a great adventure with your family, I'm sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rosalinda, for your work. And thank you to ChemFed for everything that you're doing to put good into the world. I want to watch your journey. I can see that you're going to be a rising star. And I'd love to invite you back to talk more deeply about your work with your not-for-profit after you finish your schooling. And you're putting 100% of your effort into that. I'm sure you will see great things. Thank you. What an enlightening discussion with Rosalinda. I have to say that it's individuals like her that really give me hope for the future. You've often heard people say that children are our future, young people are our future. The reality of this world now is that we're facing climate change and disasters and areas around the globe that we all need to engage with. But she and many like her are tackling those challenges too. And they likely have a little longer to spend on this earth than I do left to help these things move forward. So I'm going to put my endorsement and my effort behind people like Rosalinda and ChemFed because ultimately they're helping those rising tides to float all the boats of the cultures around the world so that we can create a better future. I will be sure to include links to where you can learn more about Rosalinda, her not-for-profit, and also ChemFed with show notes. And you will find so much more when you visit caremorebebetter.com. I include complete transcripts and resources there as well. And we'll also include links to the episodes where I have interviewed both Nana Abba Anamoa and Lydia Camuto Basire. You can visit caremorebebetter.com for many resources. And when you join our newsletter, you will get a five-step guide to help unleash your inner activist. It can also be used as a project management tool. So far beyond just an organizational effort around your activism. And wherever you're listening to this podcast or watching it today, perhaps on YouTube, I hope that you'll take a moment to leave us a comment, give us a thumbs up, a like, a, write us a review, a five-star rating. Each of these things helps our podcast to reach more people. And if you really enjoyed today's podcast episode, share it with a friend. You could even grab their phone and download the episode right onto it for them to listen later. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more, we can be better, and we can even build more equitable education access and education systems around the globe to create a better, brighter future for all people. And so our planet can also thrive. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.